you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. We're going to look at two passages. We're going to start there and then we're going to finish up towards the end of the message. We're going to go to Peter. Uh, We're actually going to go to 1 Peter and uh, look at a familiar passage and several passages that kind of came to mind for the message this morning. So I just want to keep it simple and and try and keep it short uh, and just get one little concept, try and get one idea this morning. Uh, or several ideas kind of tied up into one thought this morning. So Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to read that verse, and uh, I'm going to back, I'm going to start reading in verse 12, and then I think I'm going to read down into verse 17. But verse 15 is where we're focusing. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 to down to verse 17. We're going to focus on Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. We talked last week about the seven blessings of Revelation, Uh, and I think I made the statement, if I didn't, I'll make it now, that the way we live our life, the way we live out our faith before those that watch us, it shows them what we believe about God. What you and I believe about God is evident by how we live our lives. In other words, if we believe in a God who is real and present and sovereign, that's going to be reflected by how we live our lives. If we believe in a God who has the right to instruct us, to direct us, who cares for us, who's present in our lives, then our life is going to reflect a greater level of obedience, if you will, and and less of an autonomy or isolation or independence. But if the God we believe in is sort of an absentee God or a weak God, then we're going to make the decisions we want to make in our life based on our reasoning, our rationale, our logic. And that's going to be evident because most of the time when when we confront someone or someone confronts us with what we believe and why we're living, we can't show them in the Word of God why we practice a certain thing in our life, why we do the things that we do. And the real challenge is going to come when we understand, and we talked about this on Wednesday nights in the pastor's class, When you study the Word of God, and because we're all at different levels of growth and maturity, we're going to see different passages of Scripture, or we'll look at the same passage of Scripture in a different way than somebody else. And as we learn more about the Word of God and how the Scripture connects to itself, how Genesis to Revelation is a perfect unified message from God, the more we learn that, then the more that's going to be evident in our lives by, again, a, a greater desire to not only live in obedience to God, but in greater understanding with each other and what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And we've talked about that in recent weeks, talked about spiritual gifts, talked about the fact that you are important to the body of Christ. There is no unimportant, unnecessary member of the body of Christ. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God for a reason and for a purpose, And you are a blessing to the church. You and I are a blessing to the church even on our worst days when we're annoying everybody or everybody's annoying us. Amen. That's just life. We have to grow. We have to learn. But there's nothing greater than knowing that we have a God who unites us through the cross of Christ so that even when we go through those difficult times, we come out of them on the other side with a greater love for each other and more importantly, a greater love for God and a greater faith in Christ. Amen. And, and so this morning I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 3, and let me start reading in verse 12, and, and just to read and then to kind of give us a history of why we're focusing on this. And I want to give you this thought before I forget. We're looking at the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at the New Testament. Just because we have a New Testament does not mean the Old Testament is no longer relevant. 
Okay, just because we understand we're living on this side of the cross, where the people in the Old Testament were living on this side of the cross, it doesn't mean we can throw off the Old Testament. It doesn't mean we can throw out the, the word of God that he spoke to Israel in, in, in passages like Jeremiah. All right, the New Testament is built on the foundation of the Old Testament. And it's the Old Testament that actually gives stability to the New Testament. You take away the Old Testament and the, New Test- and the things that we understand in the New Testament, they lose a lot of their meaning. We can't understand them. We don't know rightly how to apply them. And our theology will collapse and fall in on us. So look at Jeremiah chapter 3. We'll explain that a little bit this morning. Chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, says the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord thy God, and has scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And then here's our key verse. And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased in the land. Not if you're multiplied and increased in the land, but when you are multiplied and increased in the land. When, when you go into the land and I have blessed you and you have multiplied and, and you are spreading out, when you do what I intended for you to do, when you reap the blessings that I have given to you, even in the midst of this passage where he's talking about their disobedience, He says, when that happened, in those days, says the Lord, they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. And then I love verse 19. But I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said... Thou shalt call me my father and shalt not turn away from me. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking the Old Testament. A nation divided. You have the ten tribes that went to the north and started their own kingdom and the two tribes that remained in the south. You had two different kings. They often fought north against the south. The north was so corrupt they never had a godly king. They were the first nation to be carried away captive by the Babylonians. Later on, the southern kingdom would be conquered and captured by the Persians. But eventually, God would would bring them back into the land. We talked about that in the book of Nehemiah. And so the Old Testament, you have God working through the people of Israel. And that carries over into the New Testament. This is important, beloved. You and I need to understand that prophecy in the Bible, and and this is going to depend on your theology. I've studied the Word of God. Here's what I think. And and, and you can study this. You come up with a different conclusion. I'd love to talk to you about it. But here's what 
what I'm convinced. The more I study the Word of God, prophecy in the Bible always revolves around the nation of Israel. That everything God has promised centers around the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem and God redeeming the people and drawing the nations of the earth to his glory. So much so that when Jesus Christ came, he came to the nation of Israel. He, he was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Everyone saw it. Everyone knew it. So that Israel and Jerusalem is still the center of prophecy today. It is still the home of, of Christ, our Savior. It is still the land of God's chosen people. But God has magnified that now by making the church possible so that now you and I who are Gentiles are now part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So not only is he going to unite, not only is he going to unite, unite Israel in a way it's never been united before, but as he said, through Jerusalem, all the nations of the earth will bless. They'll all come together, and, 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 and that will be the place where men look to know my name because it's out of Jerusalem that Jesus came. Well, in the middle of that passage, verse 15, this is what God says. I will give you pastors in the King James and if you have a newer translation it translates I will give you shepherds who will feed you shepherds after my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding so I want to look at four things quickly this morning and this and then we're going to jump to the New Testament first thing I want you to notice in verse 15 is this he says I will give you pastors according to mine I will give you this is a blessing from God that not only is he alive and well and ruling from his throne in heaven but that he gives us men on earth to lead us and to shepherd us and to guide us according to his will and his word amen God not only never leaves us alone and that he never departs from our presence but he has men who are called by him to lead his people amen and, and this is important because if you do look at the New Testament, Jesus is going to say this. Jesus is going to say the devil's job, one of the things he delights in, is taking a wolf and not just putting him in sheep's clothing, but can I say, beloved, taking a wolf and putting him in shepherd's clothing. So that not everyone that claims to be representing God is. And, and, and you can find that out just by how well we know the Word of God. We're going to get to that in a minute. But God has said, I will give you men. I will give you men according to my, I will do this. And in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, God says, Paul writes in the Ephesians and he says, God has given gifts to the church. All right, he says, I have given gifts to the church. And what does he say? What is the gifts that he gave to the church? He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then the pastor teacher. God gave us men, and in many instances, women, skilled in the preaching and teaching and communicating of the word of God who will lead us according to his heart. So God, not only is he always with us, and not only has he given us his word so that we can read his word on our own, but he's given us men and women who have skilled, who are skilled in, in knowing the word of God, who've studied the word of God and learned the word of God so that they can teach us things about the word of God and help us see things on our own so that we can grow into being the people that God wants us to be. Does that make sense? Amen. I will give you. I will. In other words, God is not withholding from us the things we need to live in this world and to walk in this world and to be the people that he's called us to be. He's given us himself. He's given us his word. And here in this passage, he has given us leaders. He has given us men who will stand up and according to his heart, direct us in the path of righteousness, in the path of God. 
I will give you. Number two, I will give you pastors according to my heart. And there's two things about this. I love this. I love the word of God. In the Hebrew, that little phrase, according to my heart, has a double meaning. First meaning is this. When he says, according to my heart, he means that I will give you a shepherd who is defined by God. A shepherd who is defined by God, according to my heart. In other words, he says, I will give you a shepherd who's a shepherd based on what I say a shepherd is. Does that make sense? God says, I will give you a shepherd, but I'm going to define for you what that shepherd is. Amen? There's a reason why when Jesus was on the earth and when he was walking among the scribes and the Pharisees and they were criticizing him and they were accusing him and they were working against him, there's a reason why Jesus looked at them and said, you are not of my father. You are of your father, the devil. So you're trying to look like a shepherd, but you are not a shepherd defined by God. And he told them at one point, it was so bad, he said, you are like snakes and vipers. So that when a child reaches in expecting to find a pet, he finds a dangerous, venomous serpent that will strike and inflict death and sickness upon you. He even says, not only that, he says, you're like open graves. You're like an open grave so that when men who are trying, you're telling men to follow you, you, they, they fall into that grave and they can't get out of it. Not only can they not get out of it, you won't help them out of it. Jesus was very clear. You are not a pastor. You are not shepherds according to my heart. God gets to define what a shepherd looks like, what a pastor looks like. And God defines a pastor and a shepherd as someone not who leads God's people into wickedness and death and destruction, but someone who leads us in the path of righteousness and joy and victory and peace. Amen. And not only that, God's pastors are men who will help us so that when we do stumble, and sometimes even to a pit that they made, they're going to help us out of it. Because I'm going to tell you, the best of pastors, the best of shepherds, we still get it wrong sometimes. Amen. Well, I mean, I don't. Other shepherds do. But, but, but yeah, oh, I get it wrong. Amen. I'm th- thank you for laughing. Amen. No, we get it wrong. There's a difference between a man who causes someone to stumble and doesn't care and someone who causes someone to stumble and in the process both he and the person who stumbled learn something and then you help that person back up amen he said i will give you shepherds according to my heart a pastor defined by god and then number two a pastor who delights in god See, when he says, according to my heart, he means not only a pastor is defined by me according to his heart, but a pastor according to my heart, meaning following my heart, with my heart. There are pastors who have a desire not to glorify God, but to glorify themselves. But thank God that he has appointed men. He has appointed shepherds. He has appointed leaders whose desire is to lead God's people not to glorify the pastor, but to glorify God. Sinclair Ferguson, one of the greatest sermons I ever heard. I went to a retreat at pastor's conference one day, and I think I shared this with you last week, maybe. I don't remember. One of the greatest things I ever heard him say, he says, when you finish preaching a sermon, if the people have seen, if the people have seen more of you than they have seen of God in Christ, then you have failed in your message. I quit. (laughs) Wow. 
He said, our job, the job of a shepherd, the job of a God-called pastor is to so preach and teach the word of God that even though they see us, the end result is they see God in Christ more than they see us. And that's through our successes and through our failures. Amen. God said, I will give you pastors. I will give you pastors according to my heart. Those who are defined by God and those who delight in God. John, when John wrote his letter, his epistle, he said, Beloved, I have greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. He said, my joy isn't to know that my children love me. My joy isn't to know that everybody knows my name. My joy is to know that the people who listen to me, the people who read my words, the people who are following me are walking in the truth of the word of God. Amen. I will give you pastors. I will give them to you according to my heart. Defined by God and delighting in God. And then look at the next thing. Number three, they will feed you with knowledge. They will feed you with knowledge. They will give you information. And as one preacher said, in the Bible, all information is given for transformation. Remember when we preached on Romans 12 a couple weeks ago? Don't be conformed to this world. Don't fall into the schemes of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the word of God. All information is given for transformation. I will give you pastors, according to my heart, which shall feed you, number one, with knowledge. And there's two things about that knowledge. When they feed us with knowledge, when the good pastor, the godly pastor, feeds us with knowledge, he's doing two things. Number one, he's thinking for us. And number two, he's thinking with us. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I want anybody to think for me? Well, not if they do all the thinking for me. But I want somebody to be thinking about things that I may never have thought about. Because until they think about it, I won't think about it. That's good. Amen? Say, say that again. I don't know if I can. Amen? (laughs) I don't want somebody to do all the thinking for me. But I want to know there's somebody out there thinking about things that I'm not thinking about. Because otherwise nobody will think about those things. Well, what does it mean if we do this? What does it mean? Why don't we try it this way? Why are we doing it this way? What about this? And we begin to think. And, 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 as, they think, and as they think for us, then we enter a conversation and we begin to think with each other. We begin to think together. See, in a, in, when it's done right in the church, beloved, when it's done right in the church, the pastor is growing just as much as the people. The shepherd learns from the sheep as much as the sheep learn from him. Sometimes we learn more. Amen. I'm gonna t- I tell people all the time, so you really want to learn the word of God? Be a pastor. Just, just, just do it for a year. You'll think about things you never thought you had to think about. You'll encounter things you never thought you'd encounter. You'll have to think with them, and you'll see people differently. And I, I tell the old joke, when I went into the ministry years ago, uh, some 30 years ago now, when, when my pastor, I was in the church, and I was a deacon, the pastor came to me, he said, you've been called to preach. I said, yes. He says, well, you need to be preaching. I said, well, I don't know where to start. I hadn't been to seminary. I hadn't been to Bible college at the time. I just knew. I, I did some preaching. I did whatever I could. Anytime I was asked, I taught the Word of God. If somebody asked me to preach at a church, I did. I did interim preaching back in the day before I even knew what that was. And I remember he said, well, you need to pray. I said, well, what do I need to do? He said, he said well, let me, let's get together a resume. He put together a resume for me. We sent it out. And, and within a few months, next thing I know, I'm pastoring a church. And for 19 years, God allowed me to be a pastor, a full-time pastor, a senior pastor, an associate pastor, now serving as a transitional pastor. So now for 20 years of my 35 years of preaching, or almost 35 years of preaching, I've been a pastor. 
course, the joke I tell everybody is I was a deacon in his church at the time. And the reality was, I think, I was just a really bad deacon, and that was his way of getting me out of the church, I think. He said, oh, have you been called to preach yet? Yeah, because you ain't being a good deacon, so let's get you. But we learn. We want pastors who will feed us with knowledge. And beloved, I want to say this to you. There is no knowledge that any pastor has, anything to share with us, more important than a knowledge of the Word of God. And I want a man who teaches me and leads me, and I want the man who is my shepherd and who serves as a shepherd for me, whether it's my pastor, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, when I'm sitting under the preaching, I want it to be the preaching of the Word of God. I don't need pop psychology. I don't need Reader's Digest. Amen. I need the Word of God. And you need the Word of God. And, and, and this is the greatest source of knowledge that you and I will ever get in our life. It's what God says. Amen. And we have to wrestle with that and think about what that means in the culture and the world we live in. I will feed you with knowledge to think for you and think with you. And here's the fourth, fourth thing this morning. I will give you pastors, according to my heart, they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Well, what's the difference between knowledge and understanding? And I've shared this with you before, I know, because I share this everywhere and I share it repeatedly because I, I, I don't think we get it. Knowledge is knowing something. Understanding is knowing what to do with what you know. See, understanding is the application and then the doing. I can know that fire burns, that fire is hot. Understanding keeps me from sticking my hand in the fire. Amen? Understanding keeps me from tempting God. I know. This is when the devil came to Jesus and tempted him in the wilderness, and he said, cast yourself down because it is written. He gave him knowledge. The devil knows the word of God. He said, it is written, if, if you, the, the angels of God will, will catch you up lest you stumble. And, and, and Jesus said, yeah, I know it says that, but it also says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So I understand this. I know this, but I understand this. I know that God will be with me. I know that God will watch me, and God will keep me from falling. And then there's times when God will let me fall, but he will pick me up. But here's what I know. I am never, ever, ever as a child of God supposed to intentionally throw myself down. Amen? See, knowledge and understanding, not only will God tell us what we need to know in the Word of God, not only will a good pastor tell us what we need to know, but he'll tell us what we need to do. And then... And then Really good pastors will not only always tell us what to do, but he'll give us just enough information and application so that we ourselves know what we need to do. Uh, you, know, you know one of the biggest burdens on a pastor, is, is, is for, and I'm just speaking as a pastor, is, is when we feel like we're constantly having to tell people what to do. You, I, I, know, I know sometimes y'all think we enjoy that. Amen? Oh, the pastor is telling me what to do. No, it's because nobody's doing what needs to be done. <laughs> and then what do we do? We tell the pastor, well, pastor, this is what you need to do. You know what happens in the church when nobody's thinking about what God wants them to do individually? They start telling everybody else what to do. See, in, 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 in a perfect church, and there's never going to be a perfect church, everybody's just going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Nobody's going to tell anybody anything. That would be awesome. Amen? But the reality is there are times when we have to point it out for each other. We have to show. And it's the pastor's job to say, have you considered this? See, I don't like to be the pastor who says, you need to do this. I like to be the pastor who says, well, what about this? And I, and I like it when the light bulb comes on. I like, I like it when you're talking to someone and it's like a cartoon. You can almost see the light bulb pop up over their head, right? 
Oh, well, I never thought about that. See, the good pastor that God wants to give us, they will feed us with knowledge and understanding. And sometimes that understanding comes from the pastor when he explains it. And other times that knowledge comes, that understanding comes when he gives us the knowledge so that the understanding comes through the Holy Spirit speaking to us on behalf of the pastor. Amen? Does that make sense? I want to make sure y'all get that. The older I get, the more I ask, does that make sense? <laughs> and I don't know if that's because I, I think it's because I care more about making sure that people understand when I'm preaching or it's because I know I'm getting older and I'm not sure I make as much sense as I used to. In fact, if, you're honest, if I'm honest with you, I'm pretty sure I, there were times in my life when I didn't make any sense at all. And the older I get, I'm not sure sometimes it's getting better or worse. <laughs> but I want to make sure. I want to make sure you understand. Because I'm not up here to glorify me. I'm not up here to give you my information. I'm up here because God has given me the incredible privilege of being a shepherd, a pastor, a preacher of the word of God. And I want to be his kind of pastor. And I want to give you the information that you need so that you can be the person that God wants you to be. And that's what every church should desire in a pastor, in their preachers, in their leaders who stand before them and preach and teach the word of God. So let's look quickly at this and then we'll be done. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 9 and 10. I'm going to give you a quick history lesson and then we're done. I was going to show a video, but we're not going to show the video, Mike. We're not going to do that. In the Old Testament, there's a principle, there's a foundation, there's a foundation of leadership in which God chose a man. He chose a man, usually one man, Moses, Joshua, all right, he chose the kings. There was one leader that sort of was over everything else. And as we move into the New Testament, God does an amazing thing. He opened up what was a monarchy and a theocracy. And in the New Testament, he introduced what I call a, a sort of a Christian democracy. Not a big fan of that word because everybody defines it differently. But he opened up this concept of a unity in the family of God where not only are we independently on our own, capable of walking before God, but we're capable of working with our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with God and do what God has called us to do in unity and in harmony. Amen? In fact, the New Testament introduces concept that even though they're in the Old Testament, they're magnified in the New Testament, which is why the Bible says, Beloved, uh, let us dwell together. It is good to dwell together in unity. It is good to dwell together in peace and harmony. The Bible tells us to, as much as is within you, seek to live peacefully among all men. Amen? And, and this is magnified by the cross. It's, it's understood that even, that even that which God wanted in the Old Testament, he's made it possible now through the cross. And it's the cross where we find equality. It's at the cross where we find that we are all equally sinners and equally loved by God. And it doesn't have anything to do with race. It doesn't have to do anything with culture. It doesn't have anything to do with color or nationality. That when you stand before the cross, you stand before Jesus, red, yellow, black, white, male, female, young, old, you stand before the cross as a sinner. And when you put your faith in Christ, you become a child of God, as much a child of God as anybody else who puts their faith in Christ. And we become a family like no family this world has ever known. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and I'm going to back up and, <laughs> and start in verse 7. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 
Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, what was a good King James word? All guile, manipulations, and the desire to take words and, and make somebody move in the realm you want them to speak with beguiling words. And hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings has newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone, elect and precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Oh, don't miss that. Who is Jesus precious to? Who is this cornerstone precious to? And make no mistake, beloved, he's talking about Jesus. Who is he precious to? He's precious to those of us that have believed in him. And he ought to be more precious day by day. You want to know who he's not precious to? People that don't know him, people that don't believe in him. You want to know that? Talk to somebody about Jesus. Look how easily people mock Christ, how we throw his name around today. How easily people say no to him and no to God. But unto you which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I like this part, a peculiar people. We're an odd bunch, amen? When people look at the church and they can't figure us out, God says, yeah, that's right. They can't. You can't understand what it means to be precious, chosen by God, until you understand and accept the one who is all precious. And that is Jesus Christ. A peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the time past were not a people, but you are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Beloved, there are all kinds of different governments in the church. There are all kinds of different theologies. There are all kinds of different ways that a church can run and move and operate. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Denominations are created by man, not by God. The Bible says there's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Why do we have denominations? Because we try to find a place where we can serve and worship God in a way that suits our understanding of Scripture. And sometimes that's going to take different, different expressions and different meanings, and we do it different ways. And throughout the history of the church, there have been two incredible extremes, and we need to avoid these at all costs. 
The first extreme is that only those who can lead and teach in the church are those who have been called by God. That the only one who has access to the word of God are those who are called by God and trained. They say by God, but then ultimately trained by other men. Early in the history of the church, there's a reason why you have the Catholic church and, and the popes and the papacy and the priests and all the training they went through. And, 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 and early in the church, when men like Wycliffe and Tyndale translated the word of God so that the common man could read the Bible for himself, and they were considered heretics, and they were even put to death for daring to think that the word of God could be put in the hands of a common man. Only those who could handle the word of God were the priests, were the leaders of the church. Do you understand the problem with the only one having a Bible and is the one who's preaching the Bible? Is that the people who are listening have no idea when he's lying and when he's telling the truth? Amen. I started the sermon this morning by saying, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah so you can read and see for yourself what I'm saying. I said, turn to 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I read that with you. Amen? You can look. You can see. He's not just making this up. Amen? And yet there was a time in the history of the church when that's the way it was. And then Luther came along and, and others, and, and they began to teach that no, anyone should have access to the Word of God, be able to read it and study it together. The passage we just read says that God will make out of everyone who puts their faith in Christ a kingdom of priests and believers. And, and so we have a doctrine. Southern Baptists have it. Others have it. We have a doctrine. There's a theological doctrine. It's called the doctrine of the priesthood of believers, meaning that if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, that you are capable of leading anyone to faith in Christ. That you can teach the Word of God. As much as you know the Word of God, you can teach somebody else the Word of God so that they know the Word of God and learn the God, and they can teach it to somebody else. And so what, 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 what happened in the New Testament, what happened in the Old Testament and New Testament is that now the Word of God is made access to anyone who wants it. Anyone who wants to read the Word of God can have a copy of it. And we're still translating it. We're still sending it to nations and places where they still don't have access to the Word of God. But in this country, there's no excuse in America for somebody not to have a Bible. Amen. And so he said, you've been made a nation of kings and priests, and, and you've been given the word of God. Why? So that we can share it with other people, so they can learn it themselves, and so that we can serve God. And so we have two extremes now. We have the extreme where only the leaders have the word of God, but now we have an extreme, and this is the one we have to be careful, where everyone, because everyone has the word of God, that means I can read it, interpret it, and make it say anything I want it to say. And that is not the case. Amen. Because when you read and study the Bible together, and we learn together, we protect each other from heresy. And we protect each other from intentionally falling or trying to make somebody else fall. Amen? Beloved, you are not just, a, and, and I say that because this, because we're in a time of transition, transition here as a church, and, and we're, we're getting the search committee together. We're, we're moving forward. We're going to call a pastor. You're going to call a pastor. I'm just here to love you, lead you, shepherd you. I'm your temporary pastor until, until God reveals that man. And, and as we go through that process, the worst thing that you can do, the worst thing, one of the worst things that we can do as a church that you can do, that I can lead you to do, is either drag our feet or go too fast. 
Just get us a man. Just get us somebody. Just get somebody to stand behind the pulpit. No, you want to make sure that you get a Jeremiah 3.15 man to stand behind the pulpit. Amen? And you don't want to drag your feet. Well, we don't need a pastor. We're church. We can, do it, we can do it on our own. No, we need shepherds. That's a gift that God has given to the church. Amen? And so as we go through this process, and as you think about this, and as we have these meetings that are going to be coming up starting in September, and as we move forward, and on the 15th we're going to vote, the week after that we're going to take your search committee, we're going to bring them down to the front, the altar here, and we're going to lay hands on them, we're going to pray over them, we're going to anoint them, and we're going to recommission the committee that you've chosen, that you've appointed, and we're going to begin this process as a church, and I'm going to love you and walk with you and lead you through that, so that when the time comes, that that, that committee, after having done their job that you've chosen, that you've prayed for them, and you've prayed for them, and you've prayed for them when they present someone to stand up here that you will eventually vote on that you can know that that is a Jeremiah 315 shepherd who's not going to be the man that you hired to do all the work but the man that you have received from God to lead you to work together to shake the very foundations of Mableton, Georgia with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Amen. Now, I have these. I actually wore a shirt that fits today and it's long sleeves. That's hard to show you this. I have these out at the information kiosk. I told you all about these. I wonder, let me pull it off. It's a little bracelet and on the bracelet it has Jeremiah 315. This is a thick one. I have some that are smaller. They're out there. I want you to take one, and I want you to take one with this understanding. One of two things. You're going to wear it, and you're going to wear it for the next, and we said it, it, it could take up to about a year, but you're going to wear this. You're going to wear this, and you're gonna, every time you see it, you're going to pray that God would send to First Baptist Church Mableton a Jeremiah 315 shepherd. And you can wear it. Now, if you don't like wearing these, hang it from the mirror in your car. Put it somewhere where you will see it often enough that every time you say it, you see it, you pray, Lord, I want this kind of shepherd. I want your shepherd. I want your shepherd. I want your shepherd. I want your shepherd. Amen? And so I, these are out there. They're available for you. Take one. Wear one. I, 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 haven't, I wore one in my last church. I, they called a pastor. I quit wearing it. I'm here now. I'll be wearing it again. And I'm going to wear mine. I'm going to wear mine. And on days when my wrist says, please take it off, I'll take it off. And as soon as I'm in, I'll put it right back on. But I'm always going to keep this in front of me because I'm praying for God to send to you Jeremiah 315 Shepherd. Amen? So they're out there at the table you pick up this morning. But here's the invitation. We're going to close with this. This is how I want to close this morning. What do you think is your greatest need as a child of God? What do you think is the greatest need of First Baptist Church Mableton. Based on what I've preached, based on what you know, based on where you are in Christ right now, what kind of a shepherd do you want? First and foremost, it should be one who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Amen? But for everybody in this room, it's going to be different knowledge and a different understanding because God has not called us all to do the same thing. So we don't want a shepherd. Listen very carefully, and I'm going to close. We're going to have a time of prayer and invitation. We don't want a shepherd who's going to come and feed half the flock. You want a shepherd who can feed the whole flock of God. 
You want a shepherd who's going to be able to minister to everybody in this church and in this community. And where he's not able to minister, he's going to be able to lead you to minister because that's the way God designed it. Amen? And I'm going to ask you this, and this is important. Do you know that Jesus is your shepherd? Because none of this matters until you become the one who is no longer stumbling at the cornerstone. But you have knelt at the cornerstone. You've knelt before the cross and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. So let's.